you heard Abel there in the video mentioned all hands on deck. This is a series that we're going through, but it's so much more than a series. It's really a call to action. It's really a campaign that we're going through this year because we're sensing and we're seeing what God is doing not only in our church, but throughout the city, throughout the country, um, and throughout the world. That slogan, all hands on deck, some of you might recognize that that's a military thing where the commanders and where the people see that there's a desperate need for action. There's a desperate need for people to be at their stations, to be at their ready because something big is happening. And as we look at our city, as we look at what God is doing, we are sensing, we are feeling that God is doing something big. God is on the move, and God is taking things up. And we want to be a church that's ready, right? So the past few years, we've been having that as a slogan, get ready. And part of being ready is to make sure that we have all hands on deck. And can I just give you back really quickly what Pastor Robert said right now? He's seeing all the volunteers, and what a great example of seeing all hands on deck, right? We need hands. We need good hands. We see it. We see people putting hands, but we need everyone's hands on deck. What kind of hands are we talking about? We're talking about hands listed in prayer. We need people to pray. We're talking about hands open and giving people to give. We need hands extended in service to serve here in the local church. But we also need harvest hands. Today's message is entitled, Harvest Hands Appointed to Go. I'm going to get into that in a second what that means here. If you've been part of this church at all, you know that we are big about you knowing your purpose. And I just want to say this. I know many of you are here this morning and you're walking with Jesus and you know Jesus. And then I praise God for that. I'm happy that you're here today. There's some other of you here, maybe you're wrestling through what that means. Maybe you know about Jesus, but you haven't really fully committed to him. And you're still kind of wrestling with that decision and what that looks like in your life. Just let me know that I'm so glad that you are here today as well. But I'm fully aware that there's some of you here this morning and you don't know him. You are skeptical a little bit. You're a little bit maybe cynical about this whole Jesus thing. And let me say that if that's you here today, I'm really, 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 really happy that you're here today. And I, I want to be very clear and upfront that at the end of this message here, um, we're going to be putting out a clear, very clear invitation to people who are saying, I want a relationship with God. I want to make peace with God. I want to live as a follower of Jesus. And if you're here and you're pondering that decision, I just, I just pray right now that you would prepare your heart, that you would just be open to what God is speaking this morning. Amen? Here at this church, we believe that your purpose is to know and to love God. If you don't know what your purpose is, let me, let me explain to you what we believe here, what we believe the Word of God teaches, is that your purpose is to know and to love God. And after having known and loved God, you can't help but to serve Him, to serve others, to serve His people. And from having lived your purpose of knowing and loving God, you experience the greatest pleasure of your life. The greatest pleasure of your life is to be known and to be loved by God. So when you come to know and to love Him, you experience being known and loved by Him. Now that's crazy when you think about that, right? That God knows you. Now He doesn't know just your social media feed, right? All your highlight reel. God knows the real you. God knows your doubts. God knows your brokenness. God knows your sin. There's nothing that's hidden from God. And the Bible says that God knows that all about you. And guess what? He still loves you. Madly, deeply, sincerely, 
in love with you. That is the greatest pleasure that we can experience in life. But there's something so much more to that as well. Not only are you known, not only are you loved, but I want you to know today that you are appointed by God to go and to live on mission for Him. Look at John 15, 16, what it says before we get to Luke. These are the words of Jesus that He tells His disciples, and these are the very same words that He speaks to you and I today if you are one of His followers. John 15, 16 says this. He says, You didn't choose me. This is Jesus speaking here, by the way. I want you to know that. He said, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go. Now, that's the whole title of this sermon here. Appointed to go. You are appointed by Jesus to do one thing. To what? To go. To go and do what? To produce lasting fruit. Now, it doesn't mean he wants you to be a farmer. It doesn't mean he wants you to grow some berries in your backyard or plant a lemon tree. He, he wants you to be a person who goes and produces. You produce whatever you put your hands to, whatever you work on, whatever you dedicate yourself to. God wants to see that thing grow, thrive, and flourish. And he appoints you to do that. He says, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for. Wow, what a life-changing reality. That not only are you known by God, not only are you loved by God, but you are appointed, you are chosen to go and to live on mission for Him. I love that word there, go. Somebody say go. I love that. I like to say monopoly. You pass what? You pass go. Like you turn a corner, what do you do? You pass go. And in Jesus, there's always a person that we learned last week who wasn't just about talking about ministry. No, he took real action and he appointed you to go. Another famous verse here, Matthew 20, verses 18 to 20, before Jesus goes to be with the Father in heaven, he gives something called the Great Commission, which is our marching orders of what we are to do as followers. Listen to the words of Jesus again. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You know what that means? Jesus is king. Not only is Jesus king in heaven, guess what? Jesus is king on earth. You know what that also means? All things are under his feet. Amen? That means every power, every government, every person, every life, every thing is under the power of Jesus. All authority has been given to him where? In heaven and here on earth where we live. Therefore, what? Say that word with me. Go. Come on, somebody say it this morning. Go. Say go. Go. Go on what? Make disciples of all nations. We know this scripture, right? You've been appointed, you've been chosen to do what? To go. To work the harvest. To put your hands into the harvest of what God is doing in your family, in your city, in your life, in your job, in your school. I love this idea because it gives the image that church is not a place where we call people in just to stay in. It's a place where we call people into a spiritual family. But the whole point is for you not to be, like, uh, like Robbie said, that cousin who just comes and lives in this place and never leaves, right? Uh, we're not saying we're, what we want to believe, but we understand we're only here for about 90 minutes on a Sunday, and guess what? After that, everyone walks out the door. And when you live your life outside that door, what should you do? You should go. Why should you go? Because you've been appointed to go. Nothing you do says this about the church. He says, church is not meant to be a place where we call many women out of the world into a safe little religious corner, but we call them out in order
is what sends you back to make them go and to be taken sympathize them. You are meant to be an ambassador for Jesus. You've been appointed for it. You've been chosen for it. Now go. In Luke 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the final days of Jesus' life, and he knows it. And he's walking back to Jerusalem with his king, and on his way back, understanding the urgency of the moment, being able to leave the room, Jesus uh, decides that he's going to appoint some, some, some messengers, some ambassadors, to spread his message throughout the region. This portion of scripture is what we would know as the commissioning of the 70, or 72. Jesus had already sent out his 12 disciples, his inner circle, to share his message to Judea, which is a smaller region. Now he's expanding the mission and he's commissioning 70 others, this is a team of 70 people, to go spread his message to the bigger area. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus had been teaching about commitment and what commitment looked like to him. And in Luke 9, verse 60, uh, Jesus again says this uh, to, to the people who were asking, you know, can I be your follower? Jesus say, look, you want to be my follower, you've got to take up your cross, you've got to leave everything and you have to follow me. And the people would say, okay, but I can't go back and say goodbye to my family first, yeah, look, Jesus. And Jesus proving the point says, no, it's hard to plow forward if you're constantly looking back. He was expressing the commitment that would take to truly live for him. In Luke 9, 60, just before he commissioned the 70, Jesus says what? Your duty is to what? Say that word with me. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Appointing them, commissioning them, giving them the purpose of serving him in this way. He's saying, follow me, live for me, and I will send you to share my message. I'm putting your hands in the harvest. Jesus appoints them. These 70, I want you to notice, let me get to the description here, they're not volunteers. These people are appointed. They're chosen for this mission. As you have been chosen for any great mission for our kingdom. Amen. Let's read here in Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to land in verse 20. We won't read all the scriptures along the way. We'll be you know, going through some of them, most of them. Um, and as we go, I want to just highlight for you some, some teaching points that we can walk away from of what it means to have your hands on the harvest. What it means to be someone who lives with the mentality and with the mindset that I've been appointed to go. I've been appointed to go. Because Jesus said so. Not because you like said so. Not because I say so. Because the living God of the universe said so. Amen? So beginning here in verse 1, it says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and he sent them ahead in pairs. Notice the pairs. He didn't send them alone. Why didn't he send them alone? To me. One will be attacked and be defeated. Two to stand back to back and conquer. But the three braided cord is not easily vanquished. And there were in twos. Who was the third man with them? He sent them out in pairs in all of the towns and the places that he planned to visit. So Jesus commissions the 70. And he says, look, I, I want to go visit these towns, but he's sending you ahead of me. And here's the first thing I want you to understand about the mindset of someone who's appointed to go. 
someone who's appointed to go understands this principle, and it all begins here. It is this is it right here. If you want to snap a picture, write it down. But you bring Jesus to wherever you go. Jesus wasn't going with these guys, but they were going to bring Jesus to where they went. And wherever God sends you, you bring the presence of God with you. That's the first kind of principle of someone who understands what it means, what it means to live a life that's appointed to go. If I'm going to have my hands in the harvest, I need to understand that me as a follower of Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, I carry God within me. And if I go to school, guess what? He's with me. If I go to work, He's with me. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't punch the clock and tell you, all right, I'm done for the day, I'll see you tomorrow. No, His presence is always there within you, and wherever you go, you bring Him with you. This was not a farming mission. This was not a political mission. This was a deeply spiritual mission that Jesus was sending these men on. They were going to carry his message to these places. Their mission was to heal the sick. Their mission was to speak life to where there was death. Their mission was to speak hope where there was hopelessness. And these men's mission was to change the world. And when they went, who sent them? Jesus sent them. So that means when they stepped into a place, they had the presence of God with them. Because he heard the message of Jesus. Jesus wasn't going with them. This truth tells us that when you're sent to those spaces where you have interactions with people, the God is with you. And if God is with you, you have the ability, not because you're cute, not because you're smart, not because you're savvy, not because of those words, because you're a sub-dresser, but you have the ability to step into a place and change the environment of that place because God is now on the scene. Do you work with people? Uh, you know, co- we have some co-workers here. You know those co-workers in your office and your job? When they're around, they just change the environment of the place, right? Usually it's because they bring the snacks, right? If we're just being honest. And we look forward to when that person comes in and says, oh man, what did they bring today? Oh man, they brought those cookies. Yes, all right, I love this thing. You just have an ability to change the environment of a place because they know what to bring. Now, how many of you know the opposite side of that as well? There's some people who could really tear the environment up of your workplace or your classroom or your family space by the attitude and the things that they bring. So what you bring to a place has the ability to change the atmosphere. And when you step into a place, that's what you bring with you. You've been gotten. Because you've been appointed to be chosen for this mission. Verse 2, Jesus says, These words give instructions to them. I love this. We get this sneak peek into the team meeting there. Jesus rallying the team and saying, Okay, these are my instructions to you. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to spread my message. And he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord, who is in charge of the harvest, can ask him to send more workers into his field. Oh, what a great scripture. Jesus realizing even back then, the mission is so great. The opportunities team are so amazing. Hey, everything that we could dream for or want, it's out there. It exists. It is there. The harvest 
is amazing, but we need more people to do the work. So the second thing, the second truth you need to kind of live by, is that the person who lives appointed and goes, is that when you go, pray for help. That means before you go into any situation, before you step into a place where you know God is leading you to share your faith or to share your story or to help cooperate with God, to work His harvest, before you step in there, Jesus Himself commands them to work. Pray. And pray to who? The Lord of the harvest. I love that because that's who the harvest belongs to. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to her. The harvest belongs to who? It belongs to God. And He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the one that we pray to, that we live for. And, and what is Jesus doing here? He's letting them know, look, you're going to need my power. You're going to need my strength. You're going to need my wisdom. Because how many know it's difficult to be out there sometimes as a follower of Jesus, right? And if you're really going to do for him, it's difficult. And you need prayer. And for many people, they, they, they don't want to share their story. You don't want to share those things with someone else for many different reasons. The biggest one being fear. How is this person going to react? What are you going to say to me? What if they reject me? What if they just say, I don't want to hear it? How am I going to, it's going to make work awkward. It's going to make the relationship awkward. There's a lot of different reasons why people don't want to share their faith. And most of them are because people have this idea that you need to do this in your own strength. If you have to have the right words, if you have to have the, you know, the right mindset, and the right timing, and, and the right movement, and you've got to have everything in place, and you just, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and how am I going to communicate, and, and, and how am I going to you know, express myself, and how a lot of eyes. When it comes to how we view this mission of reaching people, how am I going to do it? Guess what, sir? Let me give you some great news today. You don't do it. You don't do it. Somebody should be excited about that today because this just takes the pressure off your back. And what Jesus was communicating was here is that look, when you go out there, don't overwhelm yourself in how you are going to do things. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. One, He will do it and He'll bring more people to work with you. So many people say, I don't know how. Let me give you a three step simple way every single person can follow of how you can share your faith with somebody. You start off with where you were. You start off with where you were. You're not breaking down the book of Romans for them. Please don't do that. You're not explaining the Trinity. You're going to put someone to bed with that, okay? And please don't, you know, point to some signs and wonders and some miraculous things. They're going to think you're weird and they'll probably never talk to you again. Let me share with you a very short, practical way you can share your faith with somebody in a way that's not super threatening, but a way that's super impactful. Begin with where you were. You know, let me tell you back when my life was just a disaster. I mean, explain to them, you know, I got introduced to God. I, I started a relationship with God. You don't need to go into all the details of that. And please avoid Christian names. Don't say, you know, I was covered by the blood of Jesus. And then uh, I was taught, like, you know, you can just say, you know, my life was once here. I was a mess. And yet, God, let me tell you where I'm at now. So simple. 
so simple. So if you're a person who says, I don't know how to do it, you need to know how to do it. Let them know what the life is like before Jesus. Let them know how you came to them and tell them where you're at now. You know what that does? It debunks the second reason why people don't like sharing their faith. They say, what if they start an argument with me? What if they try to prove that what I'm saying is not true? Listen, theology has a way of opening up debates that are absolutely insane. Okay, you are not debating people. You're not arguing people. You're sharing your story about how God changed your life. And guess what? That's not an argument. You know what it is? It's good news. It's good news. What are you sharing? An argument? Are you sharing a philosophical statement? Are you sharing something that could be debated or debunked? No, it's your story. And it's true because you've experienced it. And someone can't argue that. They cannot argue that. Max Lucado has this quote. He says, We need to share our story. There is someone who is like you once were. That's why you begin there. You tell them who you once were. And he or she needs to know what God can do. That's why you share with them how you encountered God. Your honest detail of your past will be the encouragement for another person's future. Love it. So before you go, pray. Pray. Verse 3. Jesus gives them these instructions. Then he gets right to it. Verse 3, he says, now what? Say that word with me, now what? Go. Now go. And remember that I am sending you. Um, so this is the point. I wish I was there because the seven that were there were amazing. Ooh, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go, Jesus. Sending you. Let's go, Jesus. Look what he says next. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. This is the part where these guys were kind of like, Woo! What? Wolves? No. He says, you are lambs amongst wolves. He takes it a step further. Look at verse 4. He says, don't take any money with you. Not even a traveler's bag. Nor an extra pair of sandals. You don't stop to greet anyone on the road. These are some pretty interesting instructions. I'm sure these guys heard him say, you're going to be like sheep amongst the wolves. And that gives them pause because who is the predator in that relationship? The wolf is the predator. Who is the prey? The lambs. What was Jesus basically telling these guys? He was telling them, you know what? When you're out there, you're going to be targeted. They're going to come after you. Don't be surprised if they try to take your life. Don't be surprised if they reject you. Don't be surprised if they come against you. But it's okay because I am sending you. I am sending you. I don't want you to have any money because I mean, know when you get a little money, you get a little self-confident, and you try to do things on your own things, and you try to use your own power to connive or to buy or trick or to bribe people, and you just say, I don't want you guys to have anything. As a matter of fact, I want you guys to have nothing except my power so that way you can learn and see how big and how great I am. Now, in the actual, this looks like a setup for failure. But Jesus was trying to teach them, and this is the third thing I want you to understand about a person who understands the mindset of going, is that when, wherever you go, wherever you go, there's going to be opposition and there's going to be distractions. Be prepared for it. Wherever God sends you to work his harvest, you will encounter opposition, you will encounter wolves, and you will encounter distractions. Jesus says, I don't even want you to stop and say hi to anybody on the way there. 
You might be thinking, well, that's kind of anti-social. That's not friendly. You've got to understand what interactions look like back then. In the culture, it was very common that when you saw somebody like an acquaintance, you had to stop, you had to have this real long conversation with them that sometimes would take up to hours, and generally it would include an invitation back to their home where you would have to accept and go and have dinner at their place and then kind of greet their family. And this whole thing was going to take up hours of time that Jesus was saying, you know what, we really don't have so many hours of time to get into all of that social interaction. So don't even greet anybody. In other words, avoid the distractions and be about the mission. Be about the mission. You don't want people to be anti-social. You just say, hey, avoid the cultural traps of distraction. And if you look around us today, there's so many cultural traps of distraction, isn't there? Social media, work, friend circles, streaming services. There's so many cultural traps of distraction. And you just say, you need to be a person who is good enough, a person who is sense. You need to kind of avoid some of these distractions. That culture presents. Now, there's other distractions to reject as well, like theological arguments. That's another thing to do. Avoid that. Avoid that. Remember, when someone wants to debate with me, I'm not debating. This is where I was. This is how I found God. And this is where I'm at today. That's it. That's it. Jesus wanted these men to understand that. He is going to be with him. The first word there is in verse 3 says, I am sending you. I'm sending you like sheep amongst wolves, but I am sending you. Jesus always made it clear this is from John 10, verse 27 to 29. Jesus says, My sheep listen to what? To my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I want you to, to understand this because this, again, was the whole idea that they were carrying Jesus wherever they went. That they had the shepherd with them. Yes, they were the sheep, but who was caring for the sheep? The shepherd was caring for the sheep, and the shepherd was with them. Listen to what the shepherd says. The shepherd says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. So these men didn't shiver, these men didn't shake when Jesus said, I am sending you like sheep amongst wolves, because they had the full understanding that the good shepherd was going to be with them. And when the good shepherd is with you, you feel nothing. You got down from nothing. You don't fumble anything. You don't fear. You don't freak out. You don't forget that he's with you. Remember Psalms 23? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not what? Run. That means I have need of nothing. Why? Because my shepherd is with me. What does the shepherd do? He lies me down in green pastures. You know what that is? That means I experience peace. I can sleep at night. Why? Because I know the shepherd is watching my back. You know what else the shepherd does? He fills the waters. That means life can look like a hot mess. But you know what the shepherd does? He looks at the problems and he says, Peace be still. You know what else? Do you know what talking about what the shepherd does? 
when the shepherd is with you, the shepherd says that he restores your soul. Things when you're overwhelmed, when you have anxiety, when you have fear, Jesus comes and says, I'm restoring you. I'm building you from the inside. Oh, that's what the good shepherd does. Can I tell you what else the shepherd does? He leads you. He leads you in paths of his righteousness. That means that I don't know where to go. I don't know what step to take. I can say, Lord, you lead me. You show me. And you will take you into the places that you want to go. You know what else the shepherd does for me? It says that you can walk in the valley of the shadow of death and not fear. You know why? Because he is with you. He is with you. He's right there with you. The word, the word says, the word says that his rod and his staff they comfort you. That means when I'm feeling weak and I have no strength when I'm drained, God strengthens you. He's the one who lifts my arms to stay in the battle. Can I tell you what else the shepherd does? The shepherd prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That means Jesus will prepare a table with the wolves. You know, say, sit amongst the wolves. Be with the world. He prepares a table for him. You know what else he does? He anoints my head with oil. That means his power, his grace, his wisdom, his life is filling me to the point that, you know what? My cup overflows. I can't contain it. I can't withhold it. That is so good. The shepherd is so mighty that when he anoints you, you can't help but overflow it into other areas of your life. You know what else he does? He causes his goodness and his mercy to follow you. It means even when I try to run from Jesus, even when I try to hide from Jesus, even when I try to like avoid Jesus, go Jesus, his goodness and his mercy, you know what they do? He's following you because Jesus follows you because he is a good shepherd. He knows his feet. Hey, he knows when you're hiding. He knows when you're rejecting him. He knows when you're trying to skirt your mission, but His goodness and His mercy follow you. Follow you. And what the enemy will say, Spirit, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord's what? Forever. Forever. And He's a good shepherd is with me forever. So listen, understand, yes, you are being sent like a sheep amongst wolves. Distractions and opposition will come. But the Lord is your shepherd, and you shall not want. Verse 5. Jesus says, Whenever you enter into someone's home, first say this, may the peace of God be on the house. And if the person who lives there is peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. But Jesus was instructing seven individuals when you walk into a place, Pronounce the peace of God into that place. And then look. Look for the response. Look for the response. Here's another thing that a person who lives appointed by God, you need to understand. You need to understand. You take Jesus wherever you go. There's going to be distractions, right? You need to pray for help when you go. But you need to keep your spiritual eyes open to wherever you go. And Jesus is saying, when you walk into a place, you pronounce the peace of God in that place. Then look. Look for the response. If a person gives me a good response back, they are peaceful back, you have an open door. Stay there. And work that person. Now, if a person rejects the pronouncement of the peace of God in that place, that's right. Don't worry about it. I will be turning the blessing back to you. Oh, I love that. If Jesus says, even people will reject you, I will bless you back. 
I will return it to you. You step into a situation where you need to understand who are the open door people. This scripture would call these people of peace. Who are the people of peace that have support in your life? These are people that you know are open and responsive to you sharing the good news with them. You know, sometimes it's easy to get super fixed on one person and we'll try to move heaven and earth to reach that person while we're missing a bunch of people of peace that God has placed in our lives. And we need to be people who have our spiritual eyes open and we can miss an open door here because we're so fixed on this door that we know it's hard to open. And listen, well, what God is saying is, is, is if the door doesn't open, don't worry about it. I will still bless you. Move on to the person who has the mentality and the heart to be receptive to what you're saying. And this takes us having our spiritual eyes open to know the soil, to know the condition of the soil, to say, is this person open to God? Is this person open to me? And sometimes it's difficult because at the beginning it may seem like they're not open to it. But over time, God will work on them, right? But if it's constantly a closed door, you have to move on. You have to pray that God will send people of peace into your life. So that way you can reach them. I have a co-worker, I'll share very quickly. Me and her worked very closely for about seven years. Almost every day, right? And, and one fashion season, like this very first year, I took fashion seriously. We would eat lunch together and she came and she said, you're not eating today? I said, no, I'm fasting. She's like, what are you trying to lose weight? Well, thank you. What are you trying to say? I said, no, it's the church. You know, I'm trying to get draw closer to God. She's like, oh, okay, that's cool. So the next day, you know, she's like, hey, you're going to eat. I got, I got some extra food. I'm going to see you. And I'm like, oh, you know, don't go with that one. I said, no, I'm fasting. She's like, how long is this going to go? And I said, uh, 21 days. She said, yeah, you're crazy. She started lecturing me. I was in a second. She was going to have to call the medics to come get me. I was not going to be healthy. My blood pressure was going to drop. I mean, she was giving me every reason why I should make the test. And those 21 days were very awkward because she stopped asking me to eat lunch with her. And it was just like very strange, very strange. This is a person who obviously the door was closed in that moment, right? But over the years, the next year's class came around. She's like, I know, I got it. And then eventually it became to like, tell me why you fast. Like, what is the whole point of this? And now this is a person of peace. The door was open. So I started telling them. You know, it's about restraining your flesh and drawing closer to God. And, you know, there's, you know we're made between uh, body, 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 soul, and spirit. I'm telling her that she's taking this all in. And it takes years of just this. Just dropping little seeds here and there. And it wasn't every day, and it wasn't every conversation, but just dropping little seeds here and there. And right before the pandemic, um, she starts telling me, you know, I want to go to church, I want to go to church, not your church, but that would be weird. <laughs> that's right, that's right, the seeds church, right? So she starts going to church right before the pandemic, and then during the whole kind of season of shutdown, she was joining me in online church. And in 2021, when we came back to in person work, she comes to me and she says, I'm living my life for Jesus. Now, it, it, it probably took a one in a hundred year pandemic for that to happen, but God will use anything, right? Because God is always working. And my spiritual eyes were open, and all it took was to realize this is a person of peace that I could just, I could just share my life with. I could just share with her this is where I was. 
kind of like too many to share with you the good news and the bad news. God is a righteous judge. He loves you. God forgives. He's also holy. He's righteous. And he's a good judge. He's not like a human judge. He's easily corruptible. Or bought. Or taken. God is not that way. God is straight. God is very clear. He's a righteous judge. And here's the truth. You hear me very well. One day, every person I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what your religious status is. I don't care how much money you get. I don't care what your career was. One day, every person will stand in front of that judge. And when you stand in front of that judge, you will give an account for your life. And after that conversation, you will hear one of two responses. One is a very good response, and one is a very bad response. And listen, that day when you're standing before that righteous judge, you ain't going to want to hear about all the nice, pretty things you did when you were alive. You ain't going to care how much money you donated. You ain't going to care how many old ladies you walked across the street. You ain't going to care how many people you helped put your groceries in their car. You ain't going to care about any of your righteous acts because today they mean nothing. Only one thing will matter in that conversation. And the only thing that matters in that conversation is this. Did you accept or did you reject the message of the gospel. Here's the bad news. Sometimes you've got to understand how bad the bad news is to get a full understanding of how good the good news is. Here's the bad news. If you rejected the message of the gospel and you reject God, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there will be angels there, and as soon as that account is made and judgment is pronounced against you, God will say this to you. He will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. The Bible says at that point there will be angels there who will carry you into the place called the lake of fire where for eternity you will suffer and, and you will be separated from the presence of God for all eternity. And that day there will be no second chances and that day there will be no other ways. There will be no one you can talk to. There's no hookup. There's no phone to pray. There's no lifeline that you can use in that moment because you would have either rejected or accepted the message of the gospel. The bad news. Because there's another response that you could hear. And the this response comes from a person who accepts the message of the gospel. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is simply this that you and I are people who are created in the image and likeness of God. That we're given worth and value and purpose here in this life, but you're also given free will. And if you have choices to make, and some people, like many of us, all of us will make choices that we regret. All of us will fall into sin because we're broken people. We are not God. We cannot be God. And because we sin, um, when we stand before the judge, we are guilty. And we deserve what guilt brings to us. It's punishment and condemnation. But there's good news. The good news is that there's a price you can pay to avoid that guilty condemnation. It's a price you can pay. But guess what? It doesn't involve money. It doesn't involve any amount of good things that you could do. Since you pay the price. There's only one thing that can pay the price for your sins so that you're not found guilty and sent in condemnation forever apart from God. That price is the price of the life of Jesus. 
and the good news is this. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. It gets better because God recognized that. The judge who was judging you recognized that and said, I'm making a way for your Christ to be paid, for your debt to be paid. And what he did is he sent Jesus here to this earth to live a sinless, perfect life so that he could be sacrificed on the cross, right? A spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, dying on the cross, paying the price for our sin, so that as his blood was shed for us, that we might be made right and have peace with God. Now, he didn't just die on the cross. He was buried, but on the third day, he rose again, right? Showing us that there is a way for you to be spiritually reborn. And we call that giving your life to Christ. That when you come to Christ, you come from as a sinner, unable to pay your debt, but you receive the free price that he paid for your sin. And in exchange, he makes you born again. He resurrects you from the inside out. And that's what? That changes you now. Because now you're no longer an outsider. You're no longer an orphan. But you are God's child. You are God's chosen. You are God's appointed. And appointed to what? To go and share this good news with everyone. Oh, it gets better, it gets better, it gets better, it gets better. It gets better, not only that, not only does it choose you and point you, but it fills you and it begins to change you. And now you realize your purpose, it changes the way you speak, it changes the way you act, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you, you relate to people, it changes everything about you. He empowers you, he fills you, he gives you power to break addictions, he gives you power to break strongholds, and you are able to find your walk free and what God has called you to do, because that is the good news. Of the gospel, amen. We share this whole truth. And we go. And we go, someone rejects you. Remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting them. But we need to carry the weight. And the urgency that that produces. Verse 17. These men go out, they come back. When 72 disciples return, they joyfully report it to him. They're bringing back the report and they say, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. They're high fiving. Jesus sees their excitement. They're like, Woo! Jesus is amazing. Everything you said, everything you said happened. They were casting out demons. They were healing people. They you know, 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 you He sometimes speaks like a parent, right? You ever have a tough conversation with your child? First word is look. Kids, have you ever heard the first word from your parent and it's look? Not good news, okay? Not what you're expecting to hear. He says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. If you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, nothing will injure you. I'm sure these guys were like, yes, yes, that's what we're talking about. That's what we want. Let me remind you that you shouldn't be flipping like out of care in the world whenever you get into these spiritual places. So this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual war. And if you've been around this things 
long enough, you'll see some pretty wild spiritual things when you're in the middle of a spiritual war. And Jesus is reminding them, look, I'm glad you're excited, but just slow down a little bit. Verse 20, Jesus says, Do not rejoice because people spirits obey you. So people celebrate this. Look to see the power of God at work in the outer miracles, in the healings, in the life change, in the people who've been rescued and are walking with you. It, it, it's good to see and to celebrate the power of God's goodness. But Jesus says, rather rejoice because your names are registered. It reminds me of last week when the Lord demanded Jesus to be sinned, forgiven, and everybody was like, oh, that was lame. Make him walk. Jesus made him walk, but he was teaching on what? That the greater miracle is always the miracle that happens with the When you are a person who's giving your life to Christ, guess what? Your name is registered. Not here with the Cook County government, not on the New Life membership roll. Your name is registered up there in heaven. Right? That means that means when you that means when you get there, you won't hear depart from me and never knew you. Your name was already on the list. I never told you what the good phrase was. When you sit across the judge, the good phrase is this: Well done. Well done, my good and faithful what? And wait, 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 wait. It's better. He says, he says, anything. Oh, did you picture Jesus stepping aside to you? I don't imagine if Jesus were to walk into this place, all of us would be like, make room. I mean, it's crazy when you have it. But did you imagine Jesus stepping aside for you? When he tells you, Lord, done, did you say to servant? He says, enter. Enter into the home of your master. He's not saving you, okay? That's good. Can we stand together?